The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Good morning, friends. My name is Darren Brink. I'm one of the elders at the downtown campus here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, all of us have come before you now, gathered in this place, and we want to be worshipers. Father God, we don't want to be only hearers of your word. We want to be doers and delighters in your word. And I thank you that you have already blessed us in this corporate worship service, in prayer, in song, in your word proclaimed. And now I pray that you would bless us through your word exposited. I pray that you would give to us ears to hear, and I'm I'm thinking primarily of attention spans and focus for me and for all of us. I pray that you would give us minds to understand, hearts to appreciate, and then I pray that you give us hope that we can, in fact, walk in newness of life, that all these promises are true. So, Father God, please now unite our hearts to fear your name. Do this, I ask, in your name and for your sake. Amen. Well, family, Uh, For the last four months now or so, we've been going through Paul's letter to the Colossians. The theme that we've been following through this is the sufficiency of Christ and our life in him. As Pastor Kenny pointed out in his very first sermon in Colossians, Paul uses the, the phrase in Christ or in Christ Jesus 48 times in his letter. So it's a big, big thing. In fact, uh, for Paul and for us as believers, this is our truest identifying feature. This is our identity. It's not a political identity. It's not a financial identity. It's not a, a marital status identity. It's a in Christ identity. And as Pastor Rene reminded us last week, uh, we have a, a true purpose, and it's the same purpose for all of us, namely to continue steadfastly in prayerful gospel mission. So what does God's word have for us in this last section of Paul's letter? I have to say I've read Colossians many, many, many times, at least twice a year now for the last 20 plus years. And if I'm honest, I've, I've kind of skimmed at this last section. You know, there's a, there's a bunch of names, many of whom are unfamiliar to me, some places that I can't pronounce. Thank you, seminary students, for reading this ahead of me so I, I get a general idea on the pronunciation. Uh, I mean that. I mean, th- thank you for that. Um, but, you know, the question is, what does this all have to do for me? And again, if I'm honest, uh, I've kind of taken this part of Colossians uh, a bit like... Um, like the credits rolling at, at the end of a movie. It's like, okay, the main stuff is done. If you want to get up and leave, you can do so now. Um, but what, I, what I'm seeing here and what I've seen is I've really uh, been blessed in this time looking at this passage is that Paul is doing something very specific. In fact, what he's doing is he's naming 10 people who are dear to him. He's giving them honor. 
He's conferring status on them. And he's drawing them together across a lot of different places with the church in Colossae, that they would have affection for one another. And that's really what we want to do right now with the time that we have in this section. We want to honor these people, uh, be drawn to them across 2,000 years or so, and also to do the same in our context. So uh, if you're people who like outlines, there's not a real rigid outline here. This is, in fact, a bunch of greetings. But I think what we see, and I hope we'll see together as we go through this passage, is that there's a theme. There's a theme of harmony in Christ, and I think we'll see along the way as we learn a little bit more about some of these people, some ideas of how to get there. How do you get from this diverse group of people into um, an affectionate body of Christ? So that is where we'll go. And we'll just be reading through this text one verse at a time. So we'll begin at verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. We're not going to do a a deep dive here. Uh, If you were to uh, want to find out more about Tychicus, you you can search. Actually, One site that I can recommend highly is uh, blueletterbible.org. It's a great site. Uh, Shout out to Frank Rabinovich uh, at uh, Urban Refuge. It's a wonderful site. Thank you for making that free and available to us all. But we find out when we just search through the New Testament that that Tychicus is uh, a friend of Paul's who's traveled with him on some of his missionary journeys. Uh, He got pulled into a, a riot in Ephesus, Um, and then after escaping that, he went with uh, Paul. He was with Paul when he got arrested. He traveled with Paul when uh, he was on the the ship to Rome, that ship that broke up on a reef. Uh, So that's who Tychicus is. But we see something else here um, that, that Tychicus is, according to Paul, a beloved brother, That's who he is in relationship to to Paul. He loves him, and he's a brother in Christ. In relation to the church, he is a faithful minister. The word there is deacon. That could refer to the office of deacon. Probably it's just referring to a person who ministers to other believers. And he is in relation to God, a bondservant. So that fills in a little bit Tychicus, I hope. Another thing that we should know is that, as we see here, Tychicus is the one who is carrying this letter, but he's not carrying only this letter, and he's not carrying it alone. Verse 9, And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who's one of you. So Onesimus is a hometown kid. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. And here it's very important uh, to know, if you didn't know already, that two letters were written to believers in Colossae. One is is this book, Colossians, and the other is uh, the short letter called Philemon. So that's written to Philemon, uh, who also, as we find out in that book, 
uh, lives in Colossae and is, is part of this church. And we find out in that book, Philemon, that Onesimus had been a bondservant of Philemon, but in the literal sense. Onesimus was a slave. Philemon, his master. And Onesimus, again, as we find out in Philemon, had, had escaped, went off to Rome, and by the very good providence of God, there he met Paul and became a Christian. And now Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon, which is very interesting because uh, if you just want to jot this down, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 7.21, uh, that are you a bondservant? Uh, don't be concerned about that. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. So Paul is very much in, in favor of, of people being free. Yet, Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. And as we read in that book, he writes to Philemon that his great hope is that he would be received no longer as a bondservant, but as a brother in Christ. But is that what will happen? We don't know. There's a lot of, a lot of tension over this. Uh, but we do know one thing. If there is to be reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus, it's going to come at a great cost. More on that in a little bit. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Um, Aristarchus, um, uh, is also a person that we read about, uh, a companion of Paul's um, who uh, served with him in his um, third missionary trip. And then it continues in verse 10. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, Mark, of course, is well known to us. Uh, he is the author of the Gospel According to Mark, which has probably been written by this time, so maybe they've already read his book. Uh, and what we may remember uh, from our sermon series in Acts is that Mark went with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary trip, but after he got about 300 miles from home, he left. He went back to Jerusalem and, and left Paul and Barnabas and this so upset Paul that when they were going to start their second missionary trip, he refused to go with Mark. In fact, Paul and Barnabas separated over this issue. Paul ended up going with Silas, and Barnabas ended up going with Mark. But now, 14 years later, who is at Paul's side in Rome but Mark? And he's gone a lot greater distance, nearly 2,000 miles, uh, to be with Paul and to be ministering to him and with him. Verse 11, and Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a great comfort to me. This person named Justice is unknown to us. He's not mentioned in other places. There's another person named Justice, but that's apparently a different person. But what we do know about him is that he, along with Mark and Aristarchus, are men of the circumcision. They're Jews. And this is very important to Paul. Paul loves the diverse body of Christ. He is, in fact, an apostle of the Gentiles. That's where he's giving his life 
But Paul does find special comfort in being with his brothers according to the flesh. We have to remember that uh, the Jews are, of course, a small minority in the Roman Empire, and even their land is, is a place where they are, are living as second-class citizens. So Paul loves across boundaries, and he loves well, and he also loves having uh, people who, who understand him the best partnering with him. So these three Christian Jews, Mark, Justice, and, and Archippus, are a very great comfort to Paul. Verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, so that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. What we know about Epaphras uh, comes from the book of Colossians and from Philemon. We learn, we or learned in the first chapter of Colossians that it was Epaphras who brought the gospel to Colossae. And now he's with Paul in Rome. And the main thing that we learned about Epaphras here is that he is a man of prayer. And interestingly, although he is with Paul in Rome, who is Epaphras particularly struggling for in his prayers? He's praying for the people that he knows best. He's praying for his hometown believers in Colossae and for believers in the nearby cities of Hierapolis and Laodicea. He is struggling for them in prayer that they may be mature in Jesus. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. If you have a Bible open, why don't you turn right now to 2 Timothy 4.10. At this point, when this letter is written, Demas is with Paul in Rome, but we see that that's not how things remain. 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul writes, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. And then notice, verse 11, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. So we see here that it's not wise to judge people by their very best day or to judge them by their very worst day. And I am so thankful to God that that is not how he treats us. For Mark, um, maybe he was homesick, uh, whatever it was in Acts 13, he left Paul, but then he showed himself again and again to be faithful to Jesus in ministering with Paul and being, as it says here, useful to Paul uh, at, at the end of Paul's life. And Demas didn't. Um, so there is... I guess, a warning for us um, not to put our, our hope in people when we're seeing them at their best. Uh, they will let us down. And also not to give up on people uh, on their very worst days because if, if God can make something out of me, then, you know, everything is possible. So um, 
I, I love the warning and the encouragement uh, in the stories of, of Mark and of Demas. Let's continue. Verse 15, back in Colossians chapter 4, verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Uh, nothing else is known about Nympha. Um, likely, she is a wealthy woman. Uh, so, like Lydia in Philippi, uh, she has a congregation of believers meeting in her house. But notice what Paul has done here so far with these first nine names. He's conferring status on Jews and Gentiles, the very well-known and hardly known, rich and poor, male and female. For Tychicus, schlepping Paul's letters all over the place, uh, to Onesimus, keenly aware, as the Ivorian theologian Soro Sungala writes, that anyone who wants to bring about reconciliation must be ready to pay the price personally. He's showing, he's showing uh, honor to Nympha, who is herself showing hospitality in her church, in her home. Paul is honoring them and calling out their value to him and to the church. They are all using the gifts and the interests and the opportunities that God has given them to minister to one another. Here I should point out, just to not leave you on the edge of your seats, what happened to Onesimus. According to church tradition, and as recorded by the, the early Christian writer Ignatius, Onesimus was free, and he went on to, after uh, Timothy stepped down from, from Ephesus, he went on to become the leader of the church in Ephesus. So we see that Onesimus turned out to be useful not just to the Apostle Paul, but to many, many believers. Um, as it says in 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And that's what Onesimus did, and that's what so many of these other faithful friends of Paul have done. So I think this is the first indicator for us of how we get to perfect harmony in Christ. Part of that is, is again, as Pastor Rene reminded us last week, in finding our true calling in being steadfastly committed to gospel mission, to gospel ministry, to a life of service, one for another. Now, when we're doing that, the Bible calls that faithfulness. That's the word that Paul uses here. But when we're experiencing it, when we're on the, on the receiving end of that, that feels like love. Let me give you an example of that. We have a guy in our small group, Mark Du Bois, and for the last four years and, and four and a half months, I, I took out my phone and checked, um, he's been sending the guys in our small group a text every morning with a scripture text and a particular person to pray for and a specific way to be praying for that person. Now, for a week or two, this seemed like a novelty. Uh, after a few months, this was kind of becoming a rhythm. Uh, but now, after four and a half years, frankly, it feels like a necessity. And I am so grateful to Mark because he is reminding us to pray and he is reminding us that we are prayed for every day. 
Mark has been unbelievably faithful in this, and that feels like love to the guys in our small group who depend on those texts. A second indicator, though, of how to get to this perfect harmony in Christ, I think is not so much taught as it is modeled. And that lesson is fellowship, or if you like, friendship. So let's go again to verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Now again, Paul has already written several letters. Tychicus um, has delivered a letter to Ephesus. There's this letter to the church in Colossae. There's a letter to Philemon. We find out there was a letter sent to Laodicea. Paul could have written one more, right? To Nympha. Greetings. Love, Paul. You know, he could have done that, but he instead did something different. He asked the church in Colossae to give Paul's greetings to her. In this way, he is, of course, showing honor to Nympha, but he's also allowing or or maybe even forcing the believers in Colossae to get to know, to get to like people in other churches. Verse 16 And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you read the letter from Laodicea. So again, Paul is creating opportunities for believers in nearby churches to share their lives together, to encourage each other with what they've been given. Verse 17, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And it becomes clear again in Philemon that that Archippus is a leader in the church in Colossae. And we see that there uh, there is an encouragement of him from the congregation to fulfill his ministry. And this seems very consistent with what we've already read in Colossians. Again, in chapter 1, verse 28, Paul writes, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Or again, in chapter 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I will say that in the the four and a half years or so that I've been an elder at this church, uh, I have had on, on a number of occasions Congregants pull me aside or send me an email or a text uh, and admonish me for something I've said, um, uh, something I've prayed. And I appreciate that because I really do believe uh, that this is a heartfelt word spoken by someone who cares deeply about me and wants to see me mature in Christ. But how do we do this? What's the difference between admonishing someone and being a jerk, for example, right? Well, you'll notice in chapter 128 and in 316, we have the same two words, all wisdom. We do this in all wisdom. And wisdom, as we know, is not primarily about knowledge, right? It's a disposition. And we see that really well explained for us in James 317. He says, the wisdom that is from above is first of all pure, peaceable, gentle, 
open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It is impartial and sincere. And I promise you that if we approach one another like that, for the good, for the building up of another, it will be from the Holy Spirit and it will be for good. So by now, I hope that we've all seen that there's more going on here than just the credit reel at the end of Colossians. You know, that Paul has been knitting together these believers. Paul has honored them, he's named them, and he's highlighted their different group, their different gifts. He's causing them to grow in affection for one another. If I could imitate that now, what would that look like here at at Bethlehem? It It would go something like this. Bethlehem. David Oschlager will tell you about all that has been happening in my life. He is a loved and trusted friend. He's gotten down on his hands and knees to serve the quiet ones, the anxious ones, the overlooked ones. He is a faithful minister of Jesus. Jane Grant Abbott, who is one of you, she's always struggling for you in her prayers. She doesn't just say, I'll pray for you. She spends hours in prayers, struggling on behalf of the saints, eager to know the mind of God and to bring a word of help and a promise from God. She is teaching dozens of people what praying in the Spirit looks like, that they may stand mature. Li Shu is a dear friend who meditates on God's word sharing it in conversations and in encouraging texts that come at just the right time. He works harder than most to find rest in Christ. He has been a great comfort to me. And I could give dozens of other examples, and each of you could too. When we recognize and appreciate and call out and name the grace gifts of other believers, we are being bound together in harmony. That is, in fact, putting Colossians 3, 12 to 17, which we were reminded of this morning, it's putting it into practice, being thankful to God for the way that he uses other believers to bless us. It seems, in fact, that thankfulness is not only a result of walking in a manner worthy of God, but a way of doing it. And this is, I think, what it looks like to live in this parallel universe that, that Rod Zakata talked about. I like that because I'm kind of a, a nerd, I guess. But again, as we were reminded in chapter one, we were in a different place. Paul calls it the domain of darkness. And now we've been brought into this other place, the kingdom of God's beloved son. And in Christ's kingdom, we receive by giving. In fact, we find out that it is much better to give than receive. In Christ's kingdom, we gain status by lifting up others. We store up great treasure by investing in others. In Christ's kingdom, the rulers and authorities of this world were put to shame, were triumphed over by Christ being joyfully obedient unto death on a cross. Bethlehem, This is, I think, where we need and where we have great encouragement. 
we have been fractured, suspicious, isolated, depleted, grieved. But there is a door into great harmony together, and it's right before us. And I think it is labeled thankfulness. Thankful for God's word. The Colossians were. They read this letter, then they wanted to read the letter to the Laodiceans. They were thankful for the prayers of Paul and Epaphras. They were thankful for the ministry and the service of Tychicus and Onesimus. Thankful for the hospitality of Nympha, for the leadership of Archippus. And when we do that, when we are thankful and engaged in gospel mission, it feels like love, and this love does, in fact, bind everything together in perfect harmony. Verse 18 is the close of this letter, and it's a letter, obviously, first of all, to Colossae, but it is also a letter to Bethlehem. So let's read this together. Bethlehem. Paul closes this letter with a greeting in his own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Let's go to the word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, you love a cheerful giver because you are a cheerful giver. Jesus says, fear not, little flock. It is the Father's great pleasure to give you the kingdom. Thank you, Father God, for that. Thank you, Father God, that you don't take our best days and set them up as a metric for us to repeat. You don't take our our worst days and, and write us off. But rather, you are the one who is able to present us blameless on the last day because of the work of Jesus Christ. So I pray, Father God, for this local fellowship. I pray that you would continue to knit us together in perfect harmony with you, with one another, and I pray that it would flow out from these four walls into these twin cities, that we could be in great harmony with all people that you have called to your name. I ask this in your name and for your sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.